Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Morning, welcome to BWI Live. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, Sean Fitz, Nate Bauer. We're talking about Penn State football today on the show. The BWI mailbag coming up at the end. So, if you've got a question, you've got a thought, you've got a comment, maybe an opinion, you get a lot of opinions about Penn State football here in the chat. Drop those in. We'll be uh, sharing the best of those at the end of the show. But we got a lot of things to get to before then. Um, some interesting articles written by these two, some interesting information to get to. So all that coming up on the show. Appreciate you being with us. If you want to subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube and like the video, always those are free and they help out the show. We appreciate you being with us at the dead ass end of January in the middle of the off season, interested in talking about Penn State football. One of the things that came up this past weekend, that is the juicy news of the week um, is Junior Day. A lot of stuff with the on 300 and stuff like that, but Junior Day directly affecting Penn State football over the weekend. And of course, Sean Fitz covering all of that for Blue White Illustrated. So Fitz, um, overview of uh, of Junior Day weekend, what came out of this one? I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for asking. Uh, Nate, I'll take this one. Junior Day, uh, not very eventful. We didn't expect uh, very much coming out of this one. Um, obviously, it's a good group. Like I'm looking at it and the more I look at it, I can see like, you know, five or six guys, potential, potential Nittany lines in there. And that time of year, especially with the tournament going on down in Miami, where all every seven on seven team under the sun was basically down in Miami this weekend. Uh, it turned out to be a good group. So I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate those that have followed along. Everybody wants commitments. And I've said that a thousand times. It's so funny to watch the dynamic of you only get about 25 of these guys with the commitments, 27, 28, whatever. You only get that many guys. And if you divide that into 365, it doesn't always work out that uh, you're going to get commitments you know, every time that you want. So uh, Penn State got one last week in Owen Alicine. We came into this week. We always, you know, at least in the back of our heads, so, set an over-under. My over-under was 0.5. Like, I didn't expect anything to happen this weekend. It didn't. Um, but you had some, some good guys pop up. Hayden Bradley came up from Georgia. Uh, that's tight end that we've been talking about on the show a couple of times. Uh, Michael Carroll, who is a priority offensive lineman who just keeps growing. Uh, you know, we've said it so many, so many times here, and uh, we'll tell, we'll talk rankings later this week with uh, with Ryan. But we've said it so many times that Carroll is kind of in that Cooper Cousins mold where he's an interior guy, but he projects. You know, could, could be a tackle if you need him to be a tackle. That kid is almost six six now. Uh, he's you know. He's, darn near a tackle right now. So uh, Michael Carroll's there. Malachi Goodman, who you're going to look at that industry ranking of an 85, and you're going to think, why? Okay, regional offensive lineman. 
This kid is a dude. He is going to be one of those guys. I think he's going to be a top 200 player, maybe maybe a top 100 player at the end of the, the, the cycle. He's got those kind of tools. So, you know, there's it's it's very early in the cycle. If you're if you're judging my star ratings right now, you're not you're 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 sort of like that's willing ignorance in terms of my uh, <laughs> in terms of how you're you're grading these guys. So those are three guys that jump out at me. Uh, Cortez Harris, of course, defensive end is going to be a, an ongoing storyline in this uh, cycle since Ari Watford went elsewhere. And, you know, there's not too much in the region right now. But uh, I would say overall, pretty good group at, uh, at Penn State this weekend. Will we see commitments coming out of it? I don't think that we're going to see the couple days, couple weeks from this group. But uh, it's a group where a, a handful of these guys um, – I don't know, five, six, seven are going to pop back up for official visits in the summer. And that's what you're setting the table for right now. Yeah, it's laying the groundwork, right? That's a kind of how we've typically talked about these junior days is some of the some of the guys that have returned from the winter or from the, the football season and, and seeing games. Maybe they make sense. But for the most part, this is laying the groundwork for uh, the rest of the spring and summer. And as Fitz has said, pretty early in the process anyway. So like, I, I imagine there are guys they've identified they would take, but not all of them, you know, you're not getting, as you said, a, a commitment every single time you have an event this time of year, right? Yeah. And, and junior day, the, the title is kind of outdated. It used to be a situation where you would come in and it would be almost for this class, almost exclusively 2025 kids. Well, this is one where the, the calendar is so sped up that most of those 2025 kids that I just mentioned, if you follow recruiting on a day-to-day -day basis, you already know those guys pretty well. Like there's a reason for that. It's because they were on the board. They were at camp last year. They were at the Lash Bash last year. So you're building to future classes. I mean, uh, I think 13 offered 2026 kids and good, you know, good bit of them are, you know, guys that they'll, you know, you can't pro you can't project them right now, but they'll they'll likely circle back around and come through. Um, 2027s. I it's too early to talk about 2027s, <laughs> but pretty good 2027 group. There's a kid, Colt Lumpress from uh, Lawrenceville. He's actually from Connecticut. This kid went from I think six two and a half last time he was here to six five. Like the, they're in the process of this this growing phase, and it's really cool to watch uh, to watch guys like that sort of uh, you know just grow up in front of our eyes. So uh, a good, good junior day in terms of what you were looking to get out of it. If you're looking to get out of it for commitments, I, I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the cards to begin with. So, um, but it, but it is a good group. Jaden Blair. I didn't mention him. Um, Rowan Byrne was down. Karna Cardi from Texas. They just offered. Um, so yeah, check it out on the site. There's been a lot of coverage since then. Um, but uh, if, if you're, like I said, if you're trying to jump in and, and only, if you only follow recruiting based on the commitments, this weekend probably wasn't for you yeah and some of the things it's it's a get to know you phase uh early on and going off that junior film and guys that are you know coming up to the program so doing some advanced scouting uh is something that i did this weekend check that out blue illustrated.com take a look at the film and it's obviously if a guy's a four star he's a good football player but there's always nuance to it what does he bring to the table how does he fit into the penn state culture some of those things and of course the hard news if you're looking for that information from ryan and sean there as well nate and, and, I'll, and I'll say oh, this with, with playing off of that like this is the time of year when you're like okay malachi goodman is a uh you know he's a he's a 85 industry ranking he's i think he's got a low ranking on rivals or whatever but like you compare him with some of the four stars right now like and you put that tape side by side there's gonna be a lot of changes in these rankings is, is mm -hmm. what i'm trying to say yeah, it, it, now he's absolutely one I'm taking a look at later this week uh, after all that endorsement from Fitz. Nate, your thoughts on uh, Junior Day? Just kidding. Yeah, I have your thoughts I just, on basketball. No, no, <laughs> let me let me get in here. I, I don't think that Penn, Penn State wouldn't pursue Malachi Goodman if he wasn't good. Am I wrong? So 
you you bring up a point that is not interesting to many people except me but these i mean there's a lot of guys that that pop up at these and i actually went back and looked at the 2023 list um and uh the the guys that were there from the 2024 class and i hate you for, for bringing this up and you know how my brain works so um and and you know there was if there were 20 offered guys there which there weren't last year this is a better list than this time last year then you know seven or eight were eventually pursued so like not that they're bad players but like when you're talking about recruiting at a level at penn state that the penn state's recruiting at and recruiting at a level that michigan's recruiting at and ohio state notre dame the, the you know your your, your traditional guys that you measure yourself up against like that list even if it's got the check mark beside their name is gonna you know like whittle down eventually so yes and no you make a point not a good yeah, one. Yeah. You did make it. <laughs> hey, Sean, Evan Royster was a three-star. So <laughs> he played lacrosse as well. I know. Yes. Mark Rubin won a swimming race against Michael Phelps. I don't I know if it. you guys know that. Yeah. So I, there are some interesting nuances. If you look historically at where Penn State has progressed in the recruiting process, like maybe five to eight years ago, they are taking guys you'd said like i would look at and say i don't know i i see some i have some concerns about some of these guys from a maybe a traits perspective or you know a high end you know what is their ceiling perspective but i mean when i'm flipping on the tape of a penn state prospect generally i'm expecting this dude can do all of it it's just what are the little what are little tweaks what are little idiosyncrasies about his particular game that kind of paint the picture of this is a good football player but Here's what we're looking at. It's not, they aren't in the position where it's like, okay, this is a three-star prospect. And you're kind of like, you, you sure? You sure about that? Like the, the, they have genuinely, I think, progressed from a place of very good to they are solidly, you know, right on that cusp of elite. It, it, it's very interesting because it, it used to be very different. Like you take a look at in 2024, a guy like Egan Boyer, who I'm very high on. I've said he's, I, th I think he's one of, if not the most underrated guy in that class, just because of what he can do athletically. Whereas, you know, the 10 years ago, it was, can this guy who we projected offensive tackle, eventually, can he walk and chew gum at the same time? Like, yeah, exactly. it, it's come a long way. Like, it, and I know that, 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 that is an extreme example. Um, but like you think of where Penn state has been at certain positions, offensive tackle, especially, and it's, it, it has come a long way, um, regardless of who's coaching, who's analyzing, who's doing all that stuff. It's just a, it, it's just a different game right now. It looks like. Yeah. The, the, I think the great he's six eight what else can he do and now right. it's like he's six eight and uh in a lot of these ways and one of the ways that these guys are finding different things to do is gaining edges off the field coming to penn state more prepared coming to penn state uh, maybe ready to contribute i don't know with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply 
But one way you can gain an edge is MMA FX. If you have a son or if you have a football team and you want to give them an edge on the football field, using your hands is the number one way, especially to defeat blocks. I was Micah Parsons to me, I was left because it was like he makes blocks irrelevant. He that one of the greatest compliments you can give a defender is the, the block didn't really matter because he was just so good at defeating them. Finding a way to do that with your hands, and if you're watching here on the YouTube channel, you're seeing a great example of former Penn State All-Big Ten defensive lineman Anthony Zettel going through this hand-fighting course. It's the only comprehensive hand-fighting video program set for football players available, taking the best of MMA and tailoring it to football. Defensive linemen, linebackers, getting off blocks, receivers, beating press coverage. These are things that can give you an edge on the football field, and if you want to stand out on film, I was watching Cortez Harris. Uh, I love the way he uses his hands. That stands out to me. That's a good football player. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a part of Bruce Lombard's MMA FX program, but he could stand to benefit from it. Um, but standing out on film and having those traits, having those skills is the best way to get noticed in recruiting. And right now, this is the best way to get it, and that is to use the promo code from BWI. Uh, we're coming here to the end of the sale, and Bruce wants you to be a part of the program so use the promo code 50bwi to get 50 percent off at lombardmma.com backslash shop you've been hearing me talk about the hand fighting program for better part of two months now all good things can't last forever you've been getting 15 percent off he's bumped it up to 50 because we're coming to the end here so use that promo code get yourself in find the best hand fighting program that teams like everyone in the nfl and the ncaa the best programs in america are using mma fx so check it out and if you're locally in state college you can email him bruce at mmafx.net to learn about you know individual training some of the penn state football players do that as well nate you've been following the penn state offseason giving kind of off-season primers for each position and this sure. week you were talking about safeties which blends in perfectly anytime we can mention kj winston around fits so uh i was interested in your view of the penn state safety position this off-season and what you see from the transition to this next season so tell us what you wrote about what you had a conversation with kj about yeah, let's not uh, let's not overstate this. It's it's more of a cursory view, right, of of who the players are and what they're doing. Uh, and I just think that the storyline for me is looking at the safeties. It's a little bit of a reversal of last year in the sense that right, you lose Tig Brown, and but what are they right moving mm -hmm. forward? Uh, where's the leadership coming from, and how does everybody else in that room respond to his absence? Uh, Keaton Ellis is, is uh, a contributor certainly for years, but not one who rose to the level that obviously KJ uh, and Jalen Reed were this past season. And so basically you're, you're returning the core, like the entirety of the core of your talent at safety. And so, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's just uh, as, as these things go in college football to have that type of consistency, to be able to, to go from this year where they were, Pretty, I mean, T. Frank, you can you can weigh in with your analysis of how good they were, but I mean, uh, if if the safety's job is to not give up home runs and to help in run support and to create some turnovers, they did all of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I know that you kind of featured KJ in that, and you mentioned his PFF grade and some of the uh, metrics that stand out about him. It's interesting because I went into the season watching some of the things they did with him and his abilities in run defense. And then you look at the overall numbers and it was more balanced than it seemed. But when you can make those impact plays in the run game, you stand out. 
And then, you know, you fold in some of the plays he made in coverage. And I don't think he was known this season as like a Tig Brown as a ball hawk. And that's fits. I'm, I'm curious about that. Like, given the transition to Tom Allen, some of the things he does, KJ's abilities, do you think that he can be that guy, that complete safety that we've, I, I think Tig and, and Jaquan Brisker both got close to being pure dual threat safeties that could do literally everything. KJ a little bit bigger. <laughs> than either of them, honestly, like even bigger than uh, than than Jaquan Brisker in in terms of I think overall length. Do you think he can be that complete safety that kind of takes all of that really, 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 really good and makes it truly elite and stands out nationally? T Frank, honestly, what do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> of course he can. That's why I set you up for it. A um, meatball uh, over the plate. I saw, you know, I actually wrote that going into the 2023 season is nobody's going to replace Tig. Like nobody was going to do everything that he did. There are, are guys that may end up being better players, of course, highlighting Winston there. Um, but like everything that he did was, uh, I don't want to say irreplaceable, but like not replaceable with one guy. It was like Juice Scruggs in the offensive line. Like Hunter Norza had a good year, but Juice just did it. so many things for you as an offensive lineman. Um, so this was, I would call it a buffer year. For KJ Winston, that's a pretty good buffer year. Um, for, yeah. But uh, I think that he takes that step next year. And the way that Tom Allen does things, I think we're seeing more safeties. I think we see Zaki Wheatley playing a more prominent role, but also on the field with Jalen Reed and KJ Winston at the same time. So I do think that we see him move toward that. I don't want to call him a rover because that's, you know, kind of like kind of like the Sam type thing, but like yeah. a guy that you can put at all those positions, move him around, um, play him like play motion into him. That, that that just helps your your entire defense so many times when he can play like a nickel, when he can play like a deep safety, when he can do all the, the special things that you ask safeties to do. So I think 2023 was that the start of that ramping up to that. I think 2024, they're they're going to be able to use him like that. The versatility he provides you, uh, that's what Tig was able to do in a multifaceted sense. And that's just, I guess that's where my long preamble of the question is like, I was shoehorning my opinion in there too early, but like he has the ability to do all these things. Plus he's six, almost six, two. And I just like that package of skills and the intelligence and the, and the approach that he has to the game. Um, it is tantalizing to project all of these things. These are these are the players going back to what we just talked about with the uh, with recruiting and and looking at some of these players and looking at the lack of uh, issues physically with guys that are coming into the program from a from a traits perspective. When you got a guy like KJ Winston and the ceiling is you know questionable as far as how high can he go, it then becomes all those things that coaches talk about where it's about discipline and application and want to know every day because all those things matter when you have an unlimited ceiling, you can reach those levels. Nate, um, just interested in your perspective about the guys outside of, of KJ and kind of the star quality of that, that depth that we've seen build that position. Um, how do you see, I guess, the, the competition this spring? Because that's the first step is finding out who can do what, who can play where. How do you see all of that, I guess, from a uh, Penn State perspective, creating that environment to create that competition? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think it's, kind of a one for one, right? In terms of Keaton Ellis out, King Mac in. In terms of in terms of snap counts and how things shift, I mean, uh certainly it's going to be interesting to see what what happens with Zachy Wheatley, right? Is he does he take the next step? Does he become uh, a more prominent just based on the buzz, like kind of how he was received going into um really 2 years ago, right? And then this past year, you know, did did some nice things but wasn't 
maybe, uh, I mean, you ended up ha having a, a fairly wide disparity in terms of rep counts, like by the mm -hmm. end of the year. Um, the, the starters between KJ and Jalen, those guys were at, I haven't pulled up. They were over 500 snaps a piece. So it was two to one really. Uh, Did it Zakia. surprise you guys the way it worked out there where we talked about four safeties coming in and Fitz, I know we talked about this preseason. You said, well, you know, there's going to be some movement at that position by at some point in the season, but the disparity there was between the starters and the backups was more than we've seen in the past. Did that surprise you last year? The guy like Zaki Wheatley didn't see the field as much as maybe even we expected after his freshman season. Yeah, it, it, it honestly it did. Like it was one of those things where you expected like maybe things falling off with Keaton eventually, um, you know, just as the other guys took over, yeah. but you look at the snap count, like it, it, it really didn't make a ton of sense when you put 2022 snap counts up against 2023 snap counts, especially what we saw in 2023 where they were playing half the game and it was moving on to the next person. So those snaps may have been even more uh, inflated, deflated. I don't, I don't do the comparisons well, um, but uh, it's um, a situation where I thought that Wheatley would be, you know, it, it would be not two to one, but it would be one and a half to one or something like that. And it didn't end yeah. up that way. And, and Wheatley got pulled from a game Mid-season, I can't remember which game it was off the top of my head, but and then he didn't play for that game, and then much of the next game, like there was, or and maybe not even at all the next game. So, like that's a big chunk of your season. That's a sixth of your season essentially. So, I, I was surprised by that. Um, but you know, you looking back at this defense, there's not a ton of arguments you can make to say, hey, they they should have been playing other guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Nate, before we get into the BWI mailbag, yeah, something I was going to ask you at the top of the show. Yeah. But I do, we're not going to have, unfortunately, because of some of the scheduling conflicts, we're not going to have a hoop show. But I do want to get your thoughts on, on Penze basketball uh, for this week. Um, so you want to give us a little little uh, nugget about what's coming up with the team and how things are going? Hmm. Where to start? They lost a game that they should not have lost on Saturday to Minnesota in front of the biggest crowd that they've had at home in three years, four years. So that's that's not great for Penn State basketball. Um, but also one of those things that, uh, you know, Mike Rhodes said a couple of weeks ago, playing with house money, that's, you know, it, it is kind of that, right? I mean, you you have to keep going. They, they have uh, the final, the back half of their Big Ten schedule coming up. Um, the game number 10, I should say, is uh, Rutgers on Wednesday night at 8.30. That's on the Big Ten Network. Uh, Kanye Clary is day-to-day. -day. You know, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I know what a concussion looks like. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, Nick Kern is back. He will he will play. He so he he cramped up at the end of that game. So, you know, so look, not have it, it was a it was a two point game when Kanye got hurt. Uh, if he's in the game, maybe it's a different outcome. Uh, he wasn't right. Nick Kern wasn't in the game. If Nick Kern's in the game, maybe it's a different outcome. It, it wasn't. So they lose that game, but um, you know, it's, it's an interesting spot for Mike Rhodes because having, if you read between the lines and this is, this is something that I'm probably going to write about today. If you read between the lines of, of really everything that he's talking about in terms of mental toughness and being able to withstand it when another team makes a run, um, you know, doing certain things, uh, frustration, being frustrated easily is more or less saying this team could be good or better than it is mm -hmm. if they did the things that we asked them to do. <laughs> right. So that kind of, I was formulating this question, but I'm, I'm curious 
Um, are we at the point where you can start to not rank, but put this in a category of Penn State first seasons under a new head coach? There's been a lot of them. Um, and I'm just curious, oh. are we now at the end of January, you've seen enough to know, okay, this is kind of like this season previously or, you know, and then kind of trajectory of where they're going. No, because there's, there's just too much basketball to play. And they they okay. have shown an ability to to play. They can, they can play with these teams, right? There, there hasn't been, other than at Michigan State and at Purdue, there isn't a team in the Big Ten that they haven't been able to play with. They can play with basically everybody. Uh, what they can't do is play 40 minutes of basketball. They, they are a completely spurt driven team. And because of that, like there's, there's a fine line between what your limitations are athletically and what your limitations are in terms of skill versus the ability to maximize that athleticism and that skill at all times. And so nobody can do it all the time, but but it's when Micah Shrewsbury took over that first year, he had mutts. They, they were just mutts. They, they didn't, they had no skill. There was no, they didn't have players on that team. This team, and I think to his, to Mike Rhodes's great frustration, has players. Yeah. Like he, he, he's got there. I mean, you saw it this summer, T Frank. Like the, there are athletes on this team. There are guys that can play basketball, that can defend. They choose not to at times when they get right. frustrated, when they, right. When, when things go a little bit South, they just, they just lose their mental composure and they don't, they don't do it. But then on the other side, they're dogs. When they get into a hole, once they get into a hole, they rally together <laughs> and they, right. They, they get, so have like, to have it literally uh, us against the world and the clock. Like there has, to, I, I made the comparison the other, uh, to somebody the other day of like g- number of possessions left in a game and how many times in opportunities you have a chance to score. I'd rather go for points when my back isn't against the cliff. They apparently are best when they're about to fall into an abyss. But then they, but then, I mean, look, like Minnesota scored over two points per possession for the first 10 minutes of the second half. That is unbelievable. Like I, I'm not, I'm not an analytics guy uh, to the extent that I should be on basketball, but over two points per possession for 10 minutes of basketball is nuts. Like yeah. I've, I haven't seen that. Uh, and I try to pay attention to those things um, this year anyway. So yeah, they're, they're, they're in a, they're in another spot where I would never sit here and say, Oh, well they have no chance at Rutgers. They do have a chance at Rutgers. Everybody in the big 10 is the same. All every single one of these teams is right there with Penn state in that, two, three, four, five win category. They're all bunched together and they have opportunities to win these games, but they're just going to have to show, they're just going to have to show more, uh, oomph. Yeah. (laughs) They just, they just gotta, you know, uh, and that's, that's on roads to get it out of them, to draw it out of them. And it's on these players to, to buy into the coaching and execute what's being asked of them. So something here in the chat that I think uh, I want to address, Robert Ferrero says, I wish there was some wrestling talk. Country's best wrestling team resides in State College. Uh, last three weeks, I want to say, we've had a wrestling show with Greg, 10 minutes. We at first did a test run of everything over at bluewhiteillustrated.com as an exclusive video in uh, his content. And then last week, we uh, aired that here on the YouTube channel, Friday at 10 a.m., give you a preview of the weekend from Greg. So there is a wrestling show. We'll also have uh, Kale Sanderson's comments here on the YouTube channel uh, on Tuesday 
uh, if you're watching this on Tuesday in the afternoon. So be on the lookout for that. We, uh, you know, it's the off season. It took me a little bit to get out of football mode to get into getting to all these press conferences and getting all this stuff squared away. So we do have basketball talk and wrestling talk here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. All right. No lacrosse talk, though. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I know nothing about lacrosse, but I also know nothing about wrestling. Um, it's a game. Yeah, it's a game. You play, there's a stick and a ball. Anyway, we're getting to the mailbag. Nate trying to get me hung up on lacrosse. Huh. There's only so much we, there's only so far we can go. Robert Bosfield says, uh, uh, ask this in the question here in the mailbag, any Michigan kids that, uh, you anticipate look at Penn state more now that the, you, uh, the Michigan coaching staff chef, uh, that the Michigan coaching staff has shifted with, uh, Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL fits any idea about portal or recruits in this particular conversation. Yeah, I think the question is more um, based on the current roster because it, it's really interesting to watch that and watch the Alabama situation because, like I said last week, keeping Sharon Moore is, is is theoretically going to provide that sort of stability that keeps guys around, but then they're starting to lose staffers, um, defensive coordinator, strength coach, very important. Like yes. that one came out yesterday morning. He's going to the Chargers. That's the one like that's the one that these guys spend the most time with. Like they're position coaches, you know, very attached to obviously that that's probably who brought you in. But the strength coach, the strength staff, that that is the important one. And now that those guys are out the door, maybe we see something there. Does it affect Penn State? I don't think so. I don't I don't think I don't look at that roster and say a ton of these guys would be, you know, if they were going to leave and be to Penn State. Michigan does a better job of recruiting nationally. So you've got guys from the West Coast. You've got guys mm -hmm. from Texas. You've got. Uh, a little bit more Florida flavor. Um, so like there's, uh, you know, those pro those guys would probably matriculate back home. Um, I saw Mason Graham was a guy that was not too pleased with the the situation, but, you know, probably going to go to Texas if he goes somewhere. So mm -hmm. like the wheels are in motion for a lot of places, but I, I don't see this one affecting Penn State all that much. Um, the good thing here is like if they do eventually go into the portal or they do go in the portal because they're still in that 30 day window, you know, it would be more of a, more of a drawn out recruitment, I would think so. So you bring these guys in for after spring. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a, that would be, I don't want to say an advantage, but that would be like the saving grace if you're going to grab one of these guys. So I look at that roster, I don't see a ton, but it is a very interesting dynamic to me because it went from, hey, nobody's going to leave and nobody's left yet. Nobody's hit the portal yet that I've seen on the tracker on, at on three. Um, but uh, it's it, it could be a situation where that that dam bursts a little bit later than right. we saw Alabama, like Saban retired. And then all of a sudden you saw guys jumping in right away. Whereas it might be the opposite, you know, great to keep Sharon Moore and, and keep that stability, but also those other guys are going to leave and that's going to change some things. Um, Saul Grant Newsom was elevated to uh, the offensive line coach. I think that'll help keep some of their offensive line around. And you know, obviously it's a very good offensive line. So um, I, I don't see it from a Penn state perspective changing much. And uh, I think Penn state with its roster, with its scholarship number being, like up there um it's it, it would be it would be tough i would take the under on whatever number you gave me on that one uh, another question here 
dealing with player acquisition. We are Penn State Reds asks with Penn State and Lackawanna that relationship. Is there other ways they can take advantage of that pipeline being in their backyard? Camps, developmental prospects, or players with great issues going there first. Is there something uh, he's? I you know I think he's this person's looking for any uh, any efficiency you can find to funnel players to Penn State that have talent. Not really. Um, they, they're pretty open in terms of the things that he was asking for before. Like you can come to camp if you're Lackawanna prospect, like they changed that a couple of years ago. And that's actually when they offered Tig Brown was, uh, after a camp. So it's been a couple of years and you get those Juco guys running around with high school guys and they look like they're on another level, um, uh, because they've been in, you know, they're obviously physically more physically mature as they yep. age, but there's not a ton that you can change with that. Um, it's not going to be a situation where it, I think I, I could be reading this the wrong way, but like sort of like a minor league developmental program, like guys that yeah. you think that might be, Hey, I mean, that kind of already happens. Like if you, if Penn state sees a kid that's borderline or sees a kid that is, you know, like a Jaquan Brisker or something like that, they're going to, you know, they'll put in a call to Mark Duda. Like that's, that, that is certainly something that goes on already. So um, I, I don't think that much changes. I just don't think that they've had the talent that fits Penn state. Um, you know, Penn state, uh, we talked about that level earlier, um, that threshold of talent, like you gotta be, at a certain level. And I don't think that Lackawanna has had that. They've had some good teams. They've had some really good players. I think the running back's really good this year, but Penn state's not looking to, to take a running back. So like it, it just aligns with needs. Um, you know, they had that, that little assembly line where they brought in Brisker and they had uh, Tig and then Dejon Warren was a guy that was a really talented D back. Um, yep. and it's just, I don't think they've gotten to that level, um, in the last couple of years. This question coming from Beaver Hill last week, and I liked it so much that I wanted to bring it back. I don't know that this is an answer, you know, kind of going still in recruiting. So Fitz, we're, we're coming to you early here in the mailbag. Do you think the Penn State staff will take a wider recruiting perspective with four and five stars in terms of more relationships, more offers, more time recruiting guys that maybe they don't expect to get with the idea that you won't win the first recruitment, but you might once they hit the portal? More offers? You guys want more offers? Like, <laughs> I, oh man, I think Nate picked up an offer this week. Um, no, that see that that is something that they've already done, um, mm -hmm. or or they're in the process of doing the last couple of years. Um, get those offers out there, get that check mark by the name, and and offers mean very little in terms of uh, in the grand scheme of things right now. It's about following up. It's about doing all the things that are that come after the offer. Um, but I think that that would be uh, something that they've. I don't want to say switch gears with, but they're offering 400 kids right now. Like it's, it is a situation where you can come back in a year and a half or two years and say, Hey, we were involved in your recruitment. Don't remember. We, we stopped by your school. We, we, you know, gave you an offer and everything like that. So I think that that is certainly um, a way that they have approached it. And it's, you know, it, thrown out, you know, there's not a cap on how many offers you can give out. There's not a cap on uh, what you can do in terms of, uh, Hmm. I don't want to say that, um, no, the, but it, it is a situation where like you can establish as much relationship as possible because it, because it means more now, like yeah. 10 years ago, didn't really mean as much. Uh, and you were sending out 150 offers in a, in a cycle. Now you can offer every kid in Florida. And all of a sudden, if that kid goes to, uh, you know, USF and blows up and wants to take it to the next level, Hey, we were there for you in the first place. So that, I think that's what you're seeing. So it's not a, it, it's been a change in, uh, in, in focus, but it's, uh, I think it's been one that they've been putting into work for a couple of years now.
And one thing that I think helps them is they identify talent early and they're in on guys who eventually become top prospects early. So maybe if those guys don't work at their first program, they have that longstanding relationship because Penn State at the bottom of this is just really good at talent evaluation. Um, Nate, I want Mommy. to come to you. <laughs> Please yeah. continue. I mean, Troutman was in San Francisco yesterday. He offered like five offensive linemen. Like you can only play five offensive line. Well, not only play, but, but you, you play five offensive linemen at a time. I mean, they're going to end up offering a hundred receivers. Like we're going to do hand wringing about receivers all year. And yep. you're going to offer a hundred of them. You're going to look seriously at 25 of them. And then you're going to even whittle that number down and have eight, 10 official visits from them. So that's where, that's kind of how the numbers work out. Uh, and Nate brings up a, a point, and I want you to expand on this once again, because we talk about these top players leaving programs, and not all of them are leaving just because of playing time and fit, Nate. No, I, so I think there's I think there's two conversations to be had, right? The first is Fitz talking about USF, right? Or whatever, uh, a lower level, and taking a step and having an opportunity. Uh, if they're the best at that level and have multiple suitors at Penn state's level. Yeah. Money, money. Like it's, it's part of the conversation is what is the opportunity? Who is the highest bidder? I'm not saying that it necessarily always goes to that, but it's, it's a, it's an influence for sure. Like it's, it's definitely a part of that conversation in terms of who you realistically have a shot to get. Uh, now there's the other side of it. And in some cases, Julian Fleming is probably a great example of a guy who didn't become that superstar at the best program, but is, is taking a, a step right to, to Penn state where money isn't going to be the only thing it's, it's about mm -hmm. what's your opportunity. Where do, where do you fit all of those things for sure? It, it, but it's still, <laughs> It's like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, it's, it's amusing to me that it's not, it's not, it's still not framed in a way as though it's like, well, Hey, like, no, this is a, this is a factor, right? Like the, the Alabama offensive lineman that went to Iowa, right. Yeah. Going back to Iowa, there's money involved there. There's, there, there are, there are things that are involved here beyond just the relationship that you have. And, and, you know, your war chest, your ability to, to uh, have those relationships in terms of business community and IL donors, you name it. Those things are all important when it comes time to, to closing the deal. Uh, I think that this is also kind of going back to the player that Penn State offers and the player Penn State is interested in is part of that conversation. And here's a flip side of it. Robert Parker says is even worth offering high school five-star considering if you don't play them, they're probably transferring certain five stars. Yes. Certain guys that maybe go to February and are a part of the national conversation late that maybe went to Alabama, but fits like the guys that fit Penn State, they don't have that mentality five-star or not. That seems to be the case, right? Yeah. I think that's a, wicked hypothetical there it's just i mean it, you, you got to go for the best talent like and if they get on if they get on campus and they're not what you thought they were then they're not what you, they thought you were like it's and and on the back end of that like when you lose those guys like don't don't burn those bridges i mean we just saw it twice in uh in in this portal cycle and uh, where whereas a hypothetical kid from in-state goes elsewhere goes to say wisconsin and you know isn't developed the thought the way that they thought that he would be Hey, maybe it looks greener in a couple of years. Like 
and hey, history could repeat. You never know. Uh, question here about quarterbacks. Let me find it here. Uh, we are eight two eight six says just watching the NFL playoff games. You really see how important it is to escape the pocket. How important is it for Drew Aller to maybe get down to stay in that two hundred thirty five pound range and really work at his agility, making that ne next step as a quarterback? Nate, um, as far as James Franklin talking about the ability to escape the pocket and and just general physical ability of the quarterback, do you think that this is a fair question and comment about Aller? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know, T. Frank. I mean, I, I, I think I would rely on your perspective more on this or fits in terms of, uh, things to compare him against, but I, I like Drew can move a little bit. <laughs> he's not, he's not a statue back. At least I don't yeah. think so. I think, I mean, I think that the, the things that seemed to be important for him was a willingness to take off right to, to get that five yard right he's not gonna he's not gonna burn you for 40 but he can get you five uh, and avoiding negative plays I think and avoiding negative thing. right and and i didn't think that he was I, I don't know i would i that's not fresh on my mind but i would be interested to see what his final sack numbers actually were this season uh, i can tell you uh, the percentage of times he took a sack was good i'll get that number for you here quickly but fits just in general his his uh his ability to escape negative plays was pretty good and his his ability to keep the offense on schedule that was the whole personality of the offense last year right yeah i mean we're looking we're looking for criticisms here like it's uh, like you 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 see the guy and you you're trying to compare him to hackenberg that's what you're doing here like there's not much more to that like he's he's not Bo in terms of athleticism but he's not like me standing back there so yeah. um it's uh, you're, you're that's what i'm saying you're you're looking for criticism here and there are many things that he has to improve upon. I don't look Come, at agility. I don't I think his shuttle is going to, you know, make the difference in terms of next year. So Com his, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just I'm complete more passes against Ohio state and Michigan. That's that was. <laughs> yeah. And, and have receivers that can, that can help you along the way. I, I do think that continuing to improve as an athlete is the state of goal of any football player. So I, I don't want to, I, I do think that there's validity to saying, Hey, do, do you think he should try and improve in these areas? But it, the, I guess the idea is he's not bad. His, so it's not just total sacks here because the volume of your passing attempts and your, the quality of your passing attempts do play into this. But in, if we look at big 10 quarterbacks and their ratio of sacks, he was second to last among starting Big Ten quarterbacks. So he gave up a sack on 10.2% of his passes last year, which is very low. That's a very good number. So athletic guys like J.J. McCarthy, he's better than that guy. Um, you know, better than, uh, uh, who am I looking for? Tali Tungvaloa. Guys that have, you know, again, you look at Tali Tungvaloa as a guy who is more of a scrambler, has more of those abilities to get out of the pocket, and Aller was better at avoiding those negative plays. He's never going to be Josh Allen. And that's where the early comparison of look at this guy, he's Josh Allen. It's like, no, that's the point is, you know, those combinations of skills aren't present here, but I want to float my, my NFL comp. And I've been thinking about this for a while. Do you think Matt Stafford is an okay comparison from a guy that has arm talent moves? Well, has that high end ability, but isn't a guy that can run around the football field. Fitz, your brow is furrowed. I want to go to you first. No, I wanted to hear Nate's on this one first. Well, no, Lambda, Lambda literally said it in the in the chat at the same time as you, T. Frank. Hey! That was like a, 
like a like a jinx situation. And I think <laughs> I, I watched it. I think there's a tape delay here. So. That's awesome. That I'm glad uh, Lambda. Great minds think alike. Uh, let's get to the next question. Nobody wants to answer my Matt Stafford. I love. Question. Yeah, I'm a huge Matt Stafford fan. I think his uh, time in the NFL when all the teams. Zoe hated that comparison because she's like, he's not good. I'm like, he's won a Super Bowl. He was a number one overall draft pick, and he's one of the most prolific passers in NFL history, but he's not Pat Mahomes. So we're like, oh, we don't want that compared. Like, it's a good comparison. Uh, Poncho570 asks, can you name three players who may not be starting but can provide excellent depth if they have a big spring? Fitz, you got uh, some guys you want to list. Yeah, and it's tough here because it's is this guy um, like a fifth corner or is he like a backup that's you know that's going after a job somewhere else like that? This is a tough one because the scope is so wide. Um, Zaki Wheatley mentioned him earlier. Um, I think that he can do a lot in this defense in the sense that if you're going to throw out three safeties, that you know they they, they complement each other pretty well. I think um, with uh, with Wheatley, with Winston, with uh, Jay, uh, with with Reed, even though he's not even though Wheatley's not technically a starter. I think yeah. that you're, you're kind of towing that line here. Uh, Anthony Donka, who's a guy that I think is going to contribute, uh, if not be a starter at offensive tackle. How's that going to work out? I don't know, man. But uh, he's he's definitely a guy that that, that I look at. Um, Tony Rojas is is fascinating to me. I'm, yeah. I'm curious if he's the starting Sam, if he's still a backup to Abdul Carter at will, because he played will almost exclusively last year. Yep. Um, and then what do you do with Abdul Carter? That's the conversation we'll have all off season there yeah but rojas is a piece um that i view as a starter but also might not technically be a starter there um they said three i'm going to keep going uh andrew rapelier the tight end dynamic is very interesting to me because they went so heavy with uh with two guys this year and then dinkins sort of came on uh later in the year um Dinkins moves up to number two, Rappelier probably number three. Can Rappelier be a number two? I don't know. We're going to see. Um, I'm very excited to see him play. Um, Ryan Barker and Chase Meyer. And if you don't know who those guys are, um, they're special teamers, of course. It's me talking. Um, but Barker had a good year last year as a walk-on freshman, um, as a kicker, another lefty. Um, that job is is open, like wide open. You've got mm -hmm. a new special teams coach. You've got a guy that started last year and then lost the job. You've got Chase Meyer coming in, who was a starter at Tulsa. So uh, Barker fits in there. Meyer fits in there. Um, kicker, I don't know which direction it's going to go. Justin Lustig's got some some work, uh, some evaluation to do there. Um, but probably guys that you don't think about uh, too often, but that kicking spot is going to be up in the air. And Alex Falcons was so damn good. Um, just came in and was was so solid. And uh, hopefully he gets a chance to, to do that in the pros. Uh, now, but uh, yeah, those are guys that are definitely going to be in play this year. I'm going to be interested to see how that works. Nate, uh, part of this is opportunity. Uh, yeah. And I think Fitz laid out a, a lot of guys that maybe have some opportunity. What positions, just looking at the roster and your overview of the, I think you've gotten through the defense so far. Where are the opportunities, yeah. do you think, for guys to make a role on offense or defense? Defensive end, I, I think, right? What's the a, what's a post chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac world look like, right? You know, deny for sure. But after that, I think that there's some opportunity there and maybe some names that aren't necessarily at the front of everybody's mind, right? Uh, Zariah Fisher, where, where does he fit in? What kind of potential does he have at this stage in his career, right? Mm -hmm. Is he, is he a guy who can continue to grow and take strides? Uh, Smith Vilbert coming off of an injury that kept him out last year. Where, where does he fit in? It, I, I'm 
honestly, I don't know if he's going to be back for spring, but I would think based on the timeline, he would be trending in that direction. Um, you know, I, I think that there, there's going to be some opportunity there and there's going to be some guys that, uh, that, that there is reason for Penn state to still feel pretty good about that room. Uh, even after losing two first and second round NFL guys. Yeah. Um, We're going to do a wild card episode at some point, just so T Frank can do the imaging of the, uh, just like the cards with the guy's faces on them. So we look forward to that. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll need a, a little lead time so I can uh, get all the graphics. Cause a lot of times the way this is, uh, I'm having to throw it together at the last minute, which deep shame for me on that side of like a subconscious deep shame that I've gotten away from some of the graphics, but the spelling errors have gone down exponentially as well. You're the best T Frank. Stop. The, uh, They're not the, zero, uh, but okay. <laughs> not, zero but it's within a taller it's right within those tolerable margins now uh the last thing i i'll say i just wanted to add in i'm interested to see the receiver rotation i wrote about you know just a basic starting point based on talent level and what we've seen from penn state about where these guys are fitting within the individual positions at the umbrella of receiver because not all receivers are asked to do the same thing even if they can eventually so what are the opportunities at that position what is andy kotelnicki going to want to do you know with those skill sets so i think that's going to in the spring we'll find out who the fourth receiver and where they're able to contribute you know depending on what julian fleming and keandre lambert smith and all the guys at the top are able to do and where the competition cre is created um rd24 asks what position group do you believe can take a big step this year that may have not been on the radar and on the opposite what are you concerned there may be a decline and why nate uh do you want to start us off on this question hmm man i mean i think that we know what the obvious groups that can take a big step it's whether or not they <laughs> right i mean can uh, can Julian Fleming, Keandre Lambert Smith and, and, uh, Omari Evans and Trey Wallace. Like, I, I think that's a lot of talent. I, I really do. I, st I still think that it can, they translate that talent into consistency. Can Trey Wallace, I mean, health being a huge part of that, but also the, the influx of, uh, of Julian Fleming, like, I, yeah, I think that there's a, a, I mean, certainly based on last year and the production that those guys had and the production that the room had, not necessarily production that those guys had because Keandre ended up having 50-plus receptions, right? His his numbers weren't bad for the first 10 games of the season. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a matter of can, can you get the rest of that room to come along? Maybe. Efficiency is big there too, not just volume and, and stats, but also, you know, those explosive cr plays create efficiency at that particular position. Fitz, do you have any thoughts on, on the rise and fall in the power rankings of Penn State's positional groups? I don't think it's anything like out of the ordinary here, but just to realize how good defensive end was last year with Adisa and Chop, like mm -hmm. those guys that are coming behind him, as Nate said, they've got talent. I just don't think they're going to be at that level. And that's not an insult like that. That, that group was, was just untouchable at times last year. And then the same can be said about corner. Like you're going to have to, I mean, that's an obvious one, right? You're going to have to replace those guys. Even if Kalen didn't have his best year, still two, three draft picks in that group. So that's going to be one of those ones that we just don't, you know, we, we're not going to know until later. Um, does Jalen Kimber factor in much? Does AJ mm -hmm. Harris factor in much? You know, you've got, you've got options, you've got talented options, but like until they, 
get to there and get that experience. And Johnny Dixon played a lot of football. Kalen King played a lot of football. Daquan Hardy played a lot of football. You just can't replicate that. You, you need to be like fans, I think. And certainly even internally, Penn State won't ever say this, but expectations have to be adjusted to where uh, you understand that you're probably going to give up 24, 27 points a game, right? It Like not... Mm-hmm. For Day the duration game? of no, 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 not 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 for the duration of the okay. schedule. I'm just saying, like, you can't go into Ohio State or you, have Ohio State come to Penn State and think that you're gonna win that or not. You're not gonna not win just, 10-7 on a last minute field goal because that's not college football anymore. You have to score, you have to score points like that. I mean, yeah, that Get was 20 that was this season. You had to score points and and uh even even given one of the better point stopping defenses that Penn State has had in quite a while. Uh, right. They just, they just, they couldn't muster. I mean, I, I ran the numbers to Frank and, and I think we talked about it a couple of shows ago. I mean, the, the actual number of points per game again in their three losses was something like 10.8 for yeah. offensively. That's, that's what they were scoring before. If you like excluding the garbage time touchdowns, yep. Ten, like 10, that's, there's and, no and world like, where that's yeah. like where you're going to win. And, so. and we have to appreciate how good that defense was in 2023. Like that's like, that's not the norm. Like yeah. that Penn state can have a really, really good defense next year. And it's, I, I still think it would be tough to touch what they did last year. Um, I think perception is also important because the safeties played well last year, but it's not like they had uh, six combined turnovers like Tig Brown did in 2022. Right. But I'm going to put this up here one more time. What position group do you believe can take a big step this year? And I'm going to give the hot take, guys. I'm going Drew Aller. I think the quarterback position can take That's a, a great, good great step game. this year. Yep. Um, I was digging into some of the numbers about his work. And one of the things I said, I, I, I'll try to keep this short. Um, on second progression reads so not your, your what you're trying to do on the play that doesn't work so i need to go to my next progression he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country at getting to his second read and it's something i pointed to every single time during film analysis of penn, penn state fans are out on drew allen i'm like guys there's things he does here that are unnatural for first-time starters the frustration was the consistency with which he got to those second reads if you give him easier first reads which he was also good at by the way there were just less of them um, and you look at the best quarterbacks in the country, they get 3,000 yards on their first read. That's a difference-making offense, and that is system. That is what Andy Kotelnicki can bring, where he doesn't have to be a hero on every third and seven where he's got to find the backside dig and throw between three players. So, you know, I think that there's, you know, there was kind of a perception that, like, I'm out on Drew Aller. That is absolutely not the case. It's he has to win with his mind and his arm, and that's the pressure he's under, that he doesn't have as much of the cover one and run where it's like, ah, it's not there. I'm going to run and be a college quarterback. He's got to be great. He's got to be NFL style in order to be everything he's meant to be. I think he can do it. He just has to get to that point where he is doing it. Uh, a couple of minutes here left on the show. want to make sure we get to a bunch of questions that we have left. OC Lyon asks this question with all the coaching changes in the NFL and college football is Penn state at risk of losing any position coaches and I'll add in staff before the season begins a la um uh defensive end coach before Deion Barnes name escaping me I apologize John Scott. John Scott Jr and anything like that of a late coaching move you think fits um you know I would have said no at this time last year and I would have been wrong so um <laughs> always 
look out for that because the NFL is a better place to coach than college football. So like, I, I, I mean, there's no information pointing to that, but there's still a few jobs open. The commanders are still open. Um, so God help any of the coaches if they go there. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> new ownership fits. It's, 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 it's never zero. So yeah, keep an eye on that because it is the NFL and the NFL is more appealing than college football today. Fitz, I'm gonna or uh, Nate, I'm gonna flip over to this question for you. I think this is an interesting one from Valhalla Valley. Awesome name, by the way. One of the better uh, names on the message board. Now that the first season of time clock rule change is completed, are there any significant analytical changes to the game that the PSU that Penn State is implementing? Uh, does one less offensive possession change much in terms of how the game is called, Nate? Aside from the details there, just generally the response from the first season of this new clock rule of not stopping on first downs. How did, uh, you know, James Franklin talk about this and how do you think this is going to affect anything going forward? You know, I don't, did he come back and, and talk about it late in the season? I don't feel like he did. Did he? Yeah. He mentioned, well, (laughs) it was kind of one of those comments where he said, um, uh, he was complaining. I, I should say he's commenting that the, uh, um, the game was shorter in yeah. a shorter window and how NFL games always take about three hours and 15 minutes. And he said, nobody's complaining about the length of college football games right. in regards to this rule and why they changed it. And he thought they weren't changing the rule for the best of college football. They were changing it for television. I mean, I, I, and, and I could be wrong on this T Frank. So you can correct me if I am, but I certainly, I thought pace of game and, possession opportunities had everything to do with the two point try in the Michigan game that everybody lost their minds about. Uh, Like they were, they were trying to, uh, they were, they were Penn state was trying to uh, get as many points as possible with the ball in their hands because they knew that they wouldn't have the ball that many times moving forward. It was, there were eight possessions in the first half of that football game. Total, like combined. Yeah. So you you have to be more aggressive. You have to do certain things in those types of games to maximize your point scoring opportunity. And certainly, uh, right when you're when you're there and you're asked to get two yards, like that's one that the analytics are going to say, like do that. Yeah. Um. This is the, the anecdotally, I noticed that the second half of football games just went down a drain time wise, where kind of like at the end of a basketball game, the final two minutes takes 20, 15 minutes sometimes uh, getting ready for the, the post game show. I had dramatically less time uh, because at the end of the game, especially in blowouts, the clock is always running. Um, so that was one where I just anecdotally, I noticed the end of games and I think Fitz, does that affect from a rep perspective of trying to get young guys on the field? Do you think that that's where, um, some of that attrition comes from? We got to make some decisions about when we put guys on the field in, in those games where you're wanting to get guys experienced down the depth chart. We'll talk about that and more after this commercial break. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know that it changes all that much, but yes, it, it is something that you take in. I mean, <laughs> college coaches, football coaches in general, I don't mean to pigeonhole college coaches here, are insane. So going from 70 reps to 65 reps does matter to them. Like the, that 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 sort of thing is something that you can't, like doesn't really, like getting Jameel Lyons in for one play in the in the West Virginia game, like does, like those are the, the little things that you see the differences here. So um, I, I think it does matter to them. Does it, 
does it affect things on the whole? Like, does it change your red church strategy? Does it change how you approach things? Not really, but like it does, it does affect because they want to get those extra things on tape. Uh, last question we're going to do here on the show. I apologize. I don't have uh, a slide for it, but it's here in the rundown and I want to get to it. Losi's mustache asks now that the final on three rankings are out without saying Antoine Belgrave shorter, which uh, uh, Fitz is very high on him has talked about him before, which three star player do you think can outperform his ranking and which one makes the quickest impact? Three things here. Um, he, he mentioned uh, Antoine Belgrave shorter as my KJ Winston. I love Antoine Belgrin short. Not quite there yet. Not quite mm-hmm. there. So I'm going to make that one uh, clear. I've got two guys. I've got one on offense. Uh, we talked about Egan Boyer er, er, uh, earlier. He is not going to be the one that makes the quickest impact. But like, if he's the one that can get to his ceiling eventually, he can put the weight on. He can stay healthy. He can do all the things that he needs to do. He's athletic enough to be a first round tackle. Like that's the, that is the type of athleticism that we're looking at. It is the type of kid that goes to a max school and blows up and does some really good things. Now, long, long way to go for him like that. Uh, don't want to set the expectations too high after the last 30 seconds of setting the expectations too high. Yeah. Um, but he is a guy that if everything hits, everything can hit big. So we're going to see um, if he's able to make that defensively. Uh, Xavier Gilliam is a guy that I just keep getting higher on like, and I know they don't need him this year. So the quickest impact may be a bit muted there. Um, but he's a guy that I think could play early if he needed to play early in the sense that they needed Zane Durant to play early and he was able to play early. So I think that Xavier Gilliam, really good football player, better athlete than we gave credit for in the first place. And uh, definitely a guy that I'm looking at and thinking, man, he could have been a four-star, but I can see why he wasn't, but he could, he could, he could have been a four-star guy. Can I throw one in here at the end? No. Okay. All right. Well, that's All it right. for the show. <laughs> yes. Well, what, what do we got? I mean, I, I love you, you ask these questions and you know, the answers and it's uh, just, uh, it's, I know it's radio uh, you, you've got the radio background there. So, uh, Peter Gonzalez. Okay. Would be a guy that I New love, you know, our prospect on, on three as of yesterday. He's a, I guess I was looking at the, the, okay, that that's good to know. That's good, honestly, because I think from a traits perspective and a physical ability perspective and the, the tape he put out last year for central Catholic, all of those are, I love height, weight, speed guys at receiver. Like he's got all the abilities, maybe some of the route running we'll find out later, yeah. but he's got the ability to be a complete receiver. And, you know, that's something that Penn State hasn't necessarily found over the last several years. And I understand national, uh, he's 796 in the composite. He's a three-star. I'm glad that on three has him as a four-star officially. I, I, I missed that yesterday. So that's good. I, that would be the, the player I'd throw in there. Nate, final thoughts here to get us out on the show. Who's your three star that you think should be ranked higher, Nate? <laughs> you know what? Anything outside of uh, whatever you want to get to, but sure, answer I just, that question. Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun, and I'd like to see how things shake out on signing day. Fitz, all right, don't uh, pressure me. Asked in the chat, by the way, any surprises on National Signing Day? No, I, I don't expect any si- surprises on National Signing Day. Penn State has pretty much wrapped up 2024 recruiting. There's no Vega. Much- nope, no Vega, no Chimdi. Uh, no Rashid Walker. Like it's, uh, yeah, they're very, very quiet on that front unless they surprise me in the next week, which I would not, I would not be too happy with them if they did, <laughs> which they well, care I, about. Sure. I want to make these guys happy and I want to get out of here because we've been here for a, a good 60 minutes. We've got a lot of great stuff here on the mailbag show, but they have important work to do 
elsewhere. So we're going to get going. Thank you to Sean Fitz and Nate Bauer being a part of the BWI live show. We'll be back tomorrow talking about some more of the positional breakdown during the offseason. And then Thursday, the recruiting show. You don't want to miss that with another junior day coming up this particular weekend. We'll be back with all of that, plus the wrestling, everything else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So much stuff for you to listen to and digest from Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you later. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.